Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I do want to give a disclaimer, okay? A lot of times, whenever we hear a message, uh, a lot of times it's easy for, a, normally it's two types, two types of people, two types of responses when we're hearing a message. One is we want other people to do what's being said, right? We're kind of like, yeah, so-and-so needs to hear that, right? And then you have the other response that is we internalize and we go, oh man, I really need to hear this. And so what I encourage you to do is I encourage you today to, to, to do both. Yes, these are the kind of friends I'm pursuing, but also this is the kind of friend I need to be. Are you tracking? Because some people will sit around and they go, oh, if I just had more people in my life, if I just had more people in my life that would, that would help me, then I would be successful. That is true. However, you are also in charge of surrounding yourself with those people, right? Proverbs says this, a friend must show himself friendly. So friends don't come automatically. You have to be a good friend to get friends, right? It's an attractional thing. And so some people, they, all they ever do is whine and complain and they go around, why are you going to have any friends, huh? It's like, well, I wonder why. Like, nobody wants to be around that. So what you need to do is you need to work on your social skills a little bit better and be attractional. Then more people will want to be friends with you. Then you'll have the friends that you need, right? So be the friend that they need, then you'll get the friend that you need. Oh, come on. That'll preach all day. So the supernatural power of friendship. Psalm 133, you guys okay today? Now, now normally 11 o'clock is a lot louder, but you are a little thinner than first service. So you're going to have to step it up today. I know, I know you're hungry. I am too. So we'll get through it. Psalm 133 verse one says, how good and pleasant it is. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I would say this, how unpleasant and how bad it is when people dwell together in division, right? We've been a part of that. We see that in our nation, but, but, but the scriptures are telling us that it's good and pleasant when God's people get together, when we get unified. It says it's like precious oil being poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, running down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows, your Bible might use this word, commands, the Lord bestows or commands his blessing, even life forevermore. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, it's awesome. Unity is awesome. When, when the brotherhood gets together, when they get on the, the same page, it's, it's good, it's beautiful, it's anointed. And he says this, he says that God commands his blessing. This is what we call synergy, right? Synergy is like, I can lift a thousand, a hundred pounds, not a thousand, right? Josh can lift 150 pounds. Together, we can lift like 400 pounds. Why? Because when we come together, great things happen. In fact, this is such a, such a law that God created, the law of synergy, that we even talked about this several weeks ago, that as uh, the Tower of Babel is when they came together and they were speaking the same language, God said, nothing they do will be impossible. Why? Because there is a law that God put in effect that said when people come together, when people get on the same page, there'll be blessing on there. I'll command it to be blessed, even if it's something that's not good, even if it's a poor cause. And so how good and pleasant it is when God's people get together, when God's people come together in unity, when we get the same focus, God is going to kiss it. God is going to touch it. He's going to bless it. And so we've got to come together. It's so important. It's the supernatural power of friendship or of unity. And let me tell you this today. You need three relationships in your life. 
You need three types of relationships in your life, always. Okay, are you, are you ready? Some of you need to write this down. You need note takers or people that remember things, okay? You need, first of all, you need someone who is investing in you, right? You need a pastor, a mentor, a teacher, a leader, someone who is investing in you. Second of all, you need someone who is running with you. Come on, someone that is doing life with, someone you can grow with, someone you can enjoy life with. And then you need someone you're investing in. I've heard it said this way, you need a Paul, you need a Silas, you need a Timothy. Well, we also see this in David's life. David had these three relationships. He had Samuel, who was the prophet. Whenever he needed to hear from the Lord, where did he go? He went to Samuel. When he was discouraged, when he was running, what did he do? He went to Samuel. He's like, man, I need someone to pour into my life. I need someone who can invest in me, and that was Samuel. And then he had this guy, which we're going to spend most of our time talking about today, Jonathan. And Jonathan was his boy, man. They were they were together. They lived in the same house. They did a lot of the same stuff. They were together on the same page. And the third th- third relationship that David had is those that he was pouring his life into. And you can read about their their feats and their stories in, in First Chronicles where it talks about the might David's mighty men. So David had these men that he raised up that were warriors like David. They were worshiping warriors like David. David had raised them up. So he had these three relationships. Those he was, those that were invested in him, those that he was running with, and those that were that he was also investing into. And so David, listen, David, way before he meets Jonathan, he was already anointed. He was already anointed. Remember when he was just a shepherd boy? He was already anointed before he defeated Goliath. He was already anointed before he became the king. But did you know that if it wasn't for the relationships that were in David's life, he could have used that anointing in a way that he wasn't supposed to use it? Right? Remember when, when, when David defeats Goliath and everybody's out on the streets going, Saul has slain his th- thousands and David is ten thousands. You guys remember that? And so what happened is, is they were calling really at that moment, David could have taken over. David could have taken over the reign as king at that moment, but it wasn't time. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can be anointed like God's stamp can be on our life. But if we don't surround ourselves with the proper relationship, we will step out of God's timing. Come on. And you're, you're already anointed. Your, your anointing's not going to increase. It's already there. But the positioning and the timing of it is critical that you get that in the right place. So, so God brings this guy, Jonathan, into David's life. Now, Jonathan's name means this, Yahweh is given. Yahweh has given. And I love it that God gave David what he needed in this man, Jonathan, because Jonathan was critical in the development of David's life. So here's David, 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 17, that's the the story of David defeating Goliath. We all know that story. And so David defeats Goliath, and it says this. He goes to Saul, and he talks to Saul. Now Saul's the king of Israel, and here it is, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Are you okay? David had finished talking with Saul, and he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and would not let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. That's some intense love, right? So he made a solemn pact with him. Your Bible might say this, covenant which is what we've been focusing on, right? A solemn pact. He made a covenant with David because he loved him. 
as he loved himself. He didn't just love him like, you're a good guy. Come on, stay over there. I loved you, David, like I love myself. So I'm going to go into covenant with you. I'm going to go into relationship with you. Like God kind of relationship, right? Like before God, I'm going into a relationship with you. So Jonathan sealed the pack by taking off his robe and giving it to David. Together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that it talks about all this stuff about Jonathan? Then it says everything that Saul told David to do, he was successful. I believe that's in there on purpose because I believe David's success was contingent upon his relationship with Jonathan. Do you have a Jonathan in your life? Are you being a Jonathan to somebody else's life? Because we all want the Jonathan, but sometimes we don't want to be the Jonathan. We always want to be David, but sometimes God is God has called you to be the David. He's also called you to be the Jonathan. So whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war and appointed and appointed him an appointment that was welcomed by all the people and Saul's officers alike. So many times in covenant, we've talked a lot about this during this series. Many times in covenant, there would be an exchange, right? In a blood covenant, oftentimes it would kind of, they would, they would slice one another's hands and they would shake. And when they did that, the blood would mix, right? When I was a kid, we called this blood brothers. Does anybody have any blood brothers when you, when you were a kid? Anybody? Am I the only one? I guess y'all aren't old enough. Then we found out what germs are. And so what would happen is when they would shake hands, that blood would begin to exchange. And they were saying, what's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. They were going into covenant. So here, listen, is David and Jonathan. And Jonathan gives David his clothes. What is he saying with the clothes? He's saying, what's mine is yours. I'm giving you what I have. And so I want to talk about the supernatural gifts of friendship. Did you know that friendship is a supernatural gift? And so these are the three supernatural gifts of friendship. Y'all okay? Y'all are sure quiet. Are you just listening real good? All right. Number one is this, loyalty. Everybody say loyalty. Loyalty. Let me get you talking. Everybody say loyalty. Loyalty. It says this, that he loved David as himself. That's some deep, rich love, right? So when he loved David as himself, he said, listen, I'm pledging my loyalty to you. As committed as I am to myself, I'm committed to you, David. That's commitment. That's loyalty. So this is not, and, and understand, this was not something that benefited jo- Jonathan. Understand this. He's the prince. He is next in line. If something happens to Saul, guess who's going to be king? Jonathan. That's how nations did it. Even though David was anointed to do it, Jonathan probably could have stepped in, not built a relationship with David, came again, come against David, so David would die and he would be promoted as king. But he knew. He knew it wasn't his job. He knew it was David's job. And so what he did is he committed himself to David. This is not something that benefited Jonathan. The throne could have been his in a moment, but his desire, listen, and his loyalty, pay attention to this. His desire and his loyalty to David went beyond his desire and his loyalty for promotion. This is what we do in our culture. 
As soon as we feel like someone is taking away our promotion, someone that's close to us, a person that works with us, you know what we do? This is what we do. We don't go, man, go ahead and have it. I think you would do a great job at it. We go, I'm eliminating you from my life. You're toxic. That's what we do. So we eliminate all the people in our life. We're committed to them until it costs them our loyalty. And then we go, it's uncomfortable. I don't like the way I feel when you succeed and I don't. You're toxic. Get out of my life. That's what culture preaches. But listen, he saw himself as critical in the life and in the development of David. Are y'all okay? So 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 17, all kinds of crazy stuff happens. So after this, after this covenant, the next chapter, Saul starts trying to kill David because he sees the people rising up to support David. So he says, well, I'll just have David killed. And he tries to kill him and says that David escaped Saul two times. David is so loyal. He stays in Saul's house. He stays in a relationship. Maybe some of that had to do with his covenant that he made with Jonathan. In the next chapter, we see Jonathan go to his dad, who's angry and ready to kill David. And Jonathan's going, listen, dad, don't kill him. Can you imagine? Him just saying, go ahead, Dad, take him out. I mean, (laughs) if David does, I could be the next king. Dad, no, you know he's a good man. And then then the following chapter after that, there's this festival called the, the the New Moon Festival. And David's supposed to go, and David goes to Jonathan. He's like, is it safe? Is it safe for me to come? He's like, I'll let you know if it's safe. And when he shows up, he realizes that it's not safe for David to come. And so uh, Jonathan warns David, don't go. Don't go to the meeting, because if you go to the meeting, Dad's going to kill you. Run. Run for your life. What was he? He was a committed friend. He was loyal to David. Let me suggest this to you today. In your loyalty. Being loyal to God means being a loyal friend. Being loyal to God means being a loyal friend. Some of you think, well, it's just me and Jesus. It doesn't really matter how I treat people. No, no, that is utmost essential for you to treat people with loyalty, for for you to treat the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, with loyalty. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He says, "By, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples that you would love one another. He didn't say this. They would know you're my disciples because you heal the sick. He didn't say you would be my disciples because you went out and fed the poor. You you, you would be my disciples because you go out and, and chant for justice. That was not how he said it. He said, you people will know that you're my disciples because you love, not the world, one another. One another. Do you love one another? I tell you what, I'm so sick and tired of seeing preachers be exposed on Facebook, people exposing something they don't like from a two-minute clip, and they never listen to the preacher for two, two hours. What are we doing? We just attack one another all the time, attacking the body of Christ. I don't like what they like. And, then, and it's not really, most of the time, it's not even major doctrine issues. It's just something I don't like. And so we're exposed. What do you think that message speaks to the world? I mean, if anybody should be united during this time, it's the church. It's the kingdom of God that we would go to bat for one another. This is a core value here at Overflow. We don't, you, you, you come in here talking about some other preacher, you come to the wrong place to talk about him. Come over here and talk about how some other church should be doing this. You came to the wrong place to talk about that because we are following the command of Jesus. We will love one another. We are loyal to the church of God. 
as imperfect as she is, we're committed to the church. We're in it. And we're not trying to get another name, another identification. We will defend the church because we are loyal to the church. Because Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Because you got one another's back. I got your back. I got your back. Loyalty. He loved him as himself. Number two is royalty. I love that one of these gifts that Jonathan gives David is his robe. It wasn't just a robe. David shows up stinky like sheep. David shows up dirty because he had a good work ethic. I mean, he'd been out out slaying bears and lions and looking over sheep and playing guitar, and he was a musician. We all know how stinky musicians can be, right? He shows up. He's like, he is just a mess, and he shows up, and Jonathan says, hey, why don't you have one of my robes? Because my robes are royal robes. Let me clothe you in royalty. So here's David having to learn, listen, a new lifestyle. How else would he have learned? Saul wasn't going to teach him how to be a king. Saul wasn't going to teach him what loyalty looks like. David wanted to take him out, but it took a Jonathan to teach David what it was like to be royalty. Are you willing to teach somebody else what it's like to be royalty? When they show up at your doorstep stinky, when they got sin issues that are obvious to everyone, are you willing to say, let me clothe you with your royalty? Let me speak into your life. Let me give you what I have, a robe and a tunic. The royal garment. I, uh, I heard a, I think it was a preacher one time say, He said, you know, if you ever go to the store to buy clothes, you know how to tell the difference between expensive clothes and cheap clothes. I was like, no. Where I was sitting in the crowd and I thought that. I don't remember where I heard it. He said, we just reach over there when it's on the rack and you just kind of wad it up and let it go. If it wrinkles easy, it's cheap. If it's good clothes, it won't hold the wrinkles. I never forgot that. Because you know what? I've met a lot of people in my life. They just wrinkle easy. Have you met anybody that wrinkles easy? Maybe you wrinkle easy. Listen, beloved, that is not that is not the garment that you've been given. That is not the robe that you've been given. You haven't, God hasn't clothed you in righteousness that wrinkles easy. And some of you are so easily offended. Every time I get around you, I just feel like I gotta tiptoe and kind of avoid the conversation. Make sure I don't offend that person. Why? Because you wrinkle easy. You've met them. Come on. How many of y'all met those people that wrinkle easy? Guess what? You don't want to be friends with them, do you? And if you're that person, they don't want to be friends with you either. And I love it that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus is talking about the church. And he says, listen, I'm cleaning up my bride. I love my bride. I want her to be without spot or wrinkle. Don't wrinkle. You're not cheap. Don't wrinkle easy. And some of you, you don't have those deep relationships. Come on, because you have no resilience. Because you wrinkle so easy. You get offended so easy. You get butt hurt so easy. Come on. God is saying, I've given you a garment that's not cheap. I've given you a garment that's glorious. Don't wrinkle easy. And we, we all know, man. We, listen, if you're going to be in friendship with somebody, you're going to get offended. In fact, I would say if a person never offends you, If they never rub you the wrong way, they're probably not a real friend. They're probably just there to flatter you. Maybe that's why you keep them around. But a true friend is going to create opportunity for offense. So what do we do? 
How do we handle offense? Because we're all going to get offended. The problem is not getting offended. The problem is staying offended. Well, how long is an offense? Ten minutes. <laughs> right? Ten minutes is too long to be offended. That, that word, that word in the Greek is, is the word trap. Offense is a trap. Something the enemy traps you up in. Tries to keep you there. To control you. To manipulate you. Right? You're caught in a trap. You're caught in an offense. What are we supposed to do when we're offended? And listen, let me suggest this to you. You can't spiritualize an offense. Well, Lord, they just weren't righteous. Beloved, I've heard that kind of garbage a lot. Well, if they were more godly, da 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 Listen, you can't spiritualize your offense. Did you know that your offense is an offense to God? That you being offended, that you holding unforgiveness is a sin in itself? So don't spiritualize your offense. So Matthew 18, Jesus tells us, this is what you're supposed to do if you're offended. He says, if you're up at the altar or you're at church and you're worshiping, yeah, Lord, here I am to worship you. He's like, listen, if you're doing that and you have offense in your heart, leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile with your brother. Go to them. If you're offended, you know what you're supposed to do? Not run, not eliminate them from their life, your life. You're supposed to go, and you're supposed to connect with them and say, listen, man, I was really bothered and hurt when you said this. Can we, can we talk through this issue? Can we try to resolve this issue? I'm not going to eliminate you. That would be, that'd be the convenient things to do. But I'm wrinkled a little bit, and I need you to help me get it out. Beloved, it's so critical for us to, to, to develop these relationships to where we're willing to go. You know what? It might be uncomfortable to talk about this, but I, but I value the relationship. I value the relationship that I have with you more than the issue that we disagreed on. That's loyalty and that's royalty. Number three is this. The third gift that he gives him is a sword and a bow. We're talking about weaponry. He gives him his, his sword and his bow. When you, when you are in supernatural friendships with someone, they, they provide for you a weaponry. Now you're equipped to fight the battles, right? You're equipped to go through and, and take dominion. You're equipped to be who God created you to be. And this is what Jonathan gives David. David was, did pretty good with the sling. Come on, he did pretty good with his shepherd's staff. But Jonathan was going to teach David how to war a little bit different than he used to war. He's going to teach him how to war like a king. He was going to, listen, he was going to sharpen the other side of the blade. And listen, you're sharp. You're gifted. Just like David was. He was sharp. He was gifted. But he had an other side of the blade. He had a king's side of the blade that needed to be sharpened. And some of you, me me too, man. I'm like this. There's areas, and this is what we find out when we get close to one another. What we find out is there's a dull side to the blade. It don't take long. Right? It don't take too many conversations. It doesn't take too long to go. You know how it is. You have people all puffed up in your mind. You meet them, they're like, hey, they're the best thing ever. And then you start hanging out with them, and you're like, oh. There's a dull side of the blade. Guess what? Everybody's got a dull side. But what we need in our life is someone to help us sharpen the dull side. This is why it says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. How are you going to sharpen the other side of the blade? Friction. Friends without friction ain't friends. If you've never had any friction, then how do you know it's a real friendship? 
So we need people in our life, listen, not to just affirm us. I love affirmation. You do too. We love it. Oh, you're so great. Oh, thank you. Stop. 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 Right? Please stop. We love affirmation. But we should also love sharpening. We should also love sharpening. We need people in our life to sharpen our dull side. God, you say, well, God will do it. Guess what God always uses? People. <laughs> God always uses people. So he's going to use people, the Holy Spirit and other people, to sharpen your dull side. To sharpen your dull side. So these are some of the weapons, you okay? Weapons that covenant relationships provide. Covenant, we're saying, listen, I'm in this thing. And I'm not just in it for me, like I'm also in it for God, right? That's what loyalty says. Loyalty says, I'm committed to you before God. So I've most, and let me just say this, that a lot of my life, a lot of my life, I've been a really good friend. But I spent a lot of my life without a good friend. Does that make sense? Someone that I was honest with. And it probably withheld a lot of the gifting and a lot of the fruit that God wanted to work in my life just because I didn't have close friends. But when I started developing close and meaningful relationships, relationships that would sharpen me, then I became so much better. So much better. They made made me so much better. It didn't mean they were easy. They take work. Relationships are work. But you need those friendships in your life. So, weapons that covenant relationships provide. Number one is support. And we see this with the belt, right? We see this with the belt. Support. We need support. We need that, that, that to know that, hey, they're going to be there. That's the second one, availability. So, support and availability. Not just being there, but being present, right? I, I will say this about friends. You know, you know someone's a really good friend? This is especially true for guys. You know if you're a really good friend with a guy, if you could just sit in the room... Be in the room and both be on your phone. <laughs> Nobody get offended by it. I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. You could be, you could be totally lost in your nothing box. Girls, us guys have a thing called a nothing box. We're just well, when they when you say, "What are you thinking about?" We go, "Nothing." We're really thinking about nothing. Like we just, oh my God, it's like that's true. I was just had one just like a second ago. Yeah, and so that's a real thing. And so guys can sit in the same room, be best friends, and be in their nothing box for like two hours and leave and be like, "Bro, that is such a good time today." Right. So, but we do need to be present, especially when we're going through hard times, that we're not distracted, that we're there. You know, I have, I have friends, you know, guys and girls do relationships so much different with women. It's like their, their relationship is like a long text thread. Sometimes, sometimes Pastor Leslie thinks, thinks I'm a woman because she'll text me in the morning and then it'll be a conversation that lasts eight days, eight hours or eight days sometimes. It's just this long thread. And so she comes back to me at like two o'clock and she's still talking about what we talked about eight in the morning. I'm like, babe, what are you talking about? Well, you know, we were talking, it's like, it's just this unending conversation. With guys, it's like, we have a conversation, boom, done, over, move on to the next thing. Conversation, boom, done, over. So that's how we do. So for me, like I have relationships with guys in the country that I've had a bunch of those, a bunch of those conversations with and I can, if I needed them or they needed me, we'd be on the phone in five seconds. And I know they got my back. And I know I'm, listen, I know I'm supported even if I'm not having a eight-hour text thread with them. I know that they got my back. These are the kind of relationships you need in your life if you're gonna be, if you're gonna fulfill what God, God has designed you for. Availability. The third is this, enjoyment. 
Enjoyment. This is another weapon. Did you know that joy is actually a weapon? Also, it's your strength. So it's your, joy is a weapon in your life. And so you need to have enjoyment. The, 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 the Greek word for fellowship is the word koinia. Koinia means the sharing of life. Friendship does that. It shares life together, right? We have people, we do this ministry thing at our house all the time with people. We just have people over and we eat. And we hang out. We don't ever crack open the Bible. We don't, sometimes we don't eat. The only time we pray is for our food. Sometimes, not always. We might talk about the Lord just a little bit. And they leave and they're like, oh, we're just so encouraged. We had such a good time tonight. I'm like, well, man, it's like, because ministry just happens when you're doing life together. It just pours out of you. It just pours out of you. It isn't, you don't have to necessarily be, you should be intentional about it, but you don't have to be. It just pours out. Jesus just pours out. The Holy Spirit just pours out as we're hanging out together, as we're just talking, as we're eating, as we're fellowshiping. And they say, man, I, f- I feel so good after that. I just love him so much. Like, what do y'all talk about? I don't even know. I can't even tell you. The women could, <laughs> but the guys are like, oh, no, I was like, I had that box for most of the time. All right. Enjoyment. And that's, that's the thing that really causes us to be friends, right? The fourth is this, accountability. Accountability. Everybody say accountability. Accountability. What does that mean? That means you, you got to be honest, authentic, and transparent. Listen, friendship without honesty is treachery. I think you missed that. Friendship without honesty is treachery. Friendship without honesty is treachery. Listen, if there's no accountability, there's no accountability without transparency. You've got to be honest with your friends. Come on, if, if, if you can't be honest with your friends, you're not in a friendship. It's not a friendship. It's an illusion. So be open in this. Listen, so when, when I'm being honest and I'm being transparent, I'm also being vulnerable which means that I'm opening up myself to scrutiny. Yeah. That I'm willing to go, so what do you think? Am I willing to hear the hard word? Yeah. Am I willing to listen, to listen to the constructive criticism that my friend might have? Yeah. Or am I too easily wrinkled? Yeah. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So one of the best things that a friendship can bring to you is being able to see your blind spots. I know know that we can do that with our pastors, with our leaders, but can you do that with your friend? Can you go to your friend and say, what am I missing? What What am I not doing well in? Because they know you the best, so they know your weaknesses the best. And are you willing to endure the scrutiny? So faithful are the wounds of a friend. I don't want a friend that'll just encourage me, just make me feel so good. I want my friend to wound me because my friend that wounds me is also the friend that can heal me if I will open myself out. And, and we've got this thing where we go, oh, no, dude, don't address any of my issues. Don't, don't judge me. Don't, don't condemn me whenever there's no real judgment. There's no real condemnation. You know what I want from my friends? I do want an, I do want an honest judgment from my friends. I do want them to judge me. I do want my friends to test me. I want that. That would be a good friend for me to have. See, calling, calling out your sin is not toxic. It's anecdotal. Calling out your sin is not toxic. It's anecdotal. You need friends that will call out your sin. So what we have to be is we have to be vulnerable enough 
when they call it out that we go, okay, it's true. Not prideful and go, no, I'm not a sinner. I, I didn't mess up. I, I didn't do that. Getting all defensive. What is that? You've, you just put up your guard. You're not being vulnerable. You need to lower that and say, listen, you're my friend, and I trust you enough to speak into my life. Will you do it? So calling your sin out is not toxic. It's anecdotal. And I, this word toxic draws me crazy. Everybody, they don't agree with me. They're toxic. They hurt my feelings. They're toxic. Maybe your feelings need to get hurt. I just feel so guilty when I'm around you. Maybe it's because you are guilty. Maybe you aren't you glad that you feel guilty when you are guilty? What would be worse is that you were guilty and you didn't feel guilty. That would be bad news. I want, man, I want to have a tender conscience. I want to be like, I want to be like, if I, if I mess up just a little bit, I want to feel really bad about it so I can correct it, so I can walk in my destiny. So we need accountability. Y'all okay? Number five is this. We need friends of faith. We need friends of faith. Those that are inspiring us, those that are empowering us, those that are praying for us. My, my dad has a, has a statement. He says, son, don't suffer in silence. Don't suffer in silence. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, if you have a need, let somebody know. And a lot of people, because maybe they're introverted or maybe they're quiet or shy or whatever, they'll go, right? They're kind of putting out signals. Can't you see that I'm hurting? Can't you see that I'm sad? Can't you see that I'm miserable? Can't you see by what I'm posting on Facebook that I'm sad? But they won't ever ask anybody for help. You know what that is? When you are not willing to ask for help, you know what it is? No matter how bashful you are, it's pride. Pride will keep you discouraged. Pride will, will go, I want everybody to think I'm strong and independent. And well, that's exactly what you are. And guess what? You're not going to get strength from anywhere else. Your strength is the only strength that you'll ha- have. But you need the strength of a friend. You need the faith of a friend. You need the faith of a friend. So don't suffer in silence. We need friends that will believe for us, that will believe for us. There's a story in Luke chapter 5. I'm closing out with this. Nathan's going to come up and and, uh, put some rest on it. Luke chapter 5, there's a story about these four friends. Mark's account tells us they're four friends. And they have a friend that's, that's paralyzed. And they heard that Jesus was in town here in Capernaum. And so they heard he was at a specific house. So they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go get our friend because we heard that Jesus heals the sick. We heard that he opens blind eyes. We heard that that people can't walk, can walk. So maybe, just maybe, he'll heal our paralyzed friend. So they go and they get his mat, the mat that he sleeps on. And the four of them take him over like he's on a stretcher. And they take him over to the house. And whenever they get to the house, they realize that the house is full. And so they're like, dang, what are we going to do? We've got to get our friend to Jesus. We've got to find, how many know friends find another way? And so they're like, we've got to get him to Jesus. So what they decided to do is they said, well, let's just go up on the roof since we can't get inside. So they, they climb up on the roof. I don't know what that looked like, but I'm sure it was difficult. Four guys carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat. They figure out a way to get him on the roof of the house. Then they open the roof up. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they like rented a jackhammer. I don't know if they, you know, were up there. With, I don't know what they did, but they tore, literally tear the roof off of the house. Jesus is teaching. The ushers are like, excuse me, sir, you're being disruptive. 
And so the roof opens, Jesus is preaching, and these four friends lower their friend down to Jesus. And Jesus is just like, the kingdom of God is like, what is happening? I'm going to show you what the kingdom is like. And the boy is in front of them. And the four friends, I could just imagine them like peeking through. Is this going to be the day? Is Jesus going to touch our friend? We did a lot to get him here. And look at what it says that Jesus is when Jesus saw their faith. Not the man that was on the mat. But when Jesus saw the faith of his friends. Jesus, the fifth friend. See, Jesus is the fifth friend. Five is the number of grace. He had four friends, but he needed another friend. And then Jesus, the fifth friend, Jesus, the friend of grace, says five words. Friend, your sins are young man is healed. See, some of you need friends in your life that will get you to Jesus. And some of you just need to be a friend that will get somebody to Jesus. Will you really be their friend? Five, the number of grace. See, we have, we have five word reasons all the time. I'm not good enough. I have done too much. I've been through too much. I can't get through this. And Jesus looks at us and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sickness is healed. Friend, your bondage is broken. stand with me all across this room. See, you need a friend. Not just, not just an earthly friend, but you need a friend like Jesus. And I love it that Jesus calls the sinner the broken man friend.